Well, very good morning to everyone. Um, please have your Bibles open at Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, and we're going to be referring back to this passage a number of times this morning. So if you can have it there. Uh, we will, as we have done with all the other uh, fruit of the Spirit topics, we will be looking at various other verses in the Bible. And that's the nature of talks like this. Uh, but this one's particularly important for us. And we'll read it in just a moment, Ephesians chapter 4. But first of all, let me pray for us. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, we thank you that it is through your word that your spirit goes to work in our hearts. And so we pray, Lord, that these words we look at this morning will not just be words on a page, but that they will be words that you use to convict us, to change us, to make us more like the Lord Jesus, so that this fruit would be abundant in our lives. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Right, Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you've been sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Okay, do have that handy, those verses. They're very, very helpful for this topic. But I'm going to start just with a, a simple question. And I wonder, have you ever tried to describe, I wonder how you would do this. How would you describe what fruit is? So, you know, an alien comes down uh, to our planet and you need to tell him you're talking about fruit. He says, what is this fruit? you keep talking about what is fruit i mean as opposed to other food types what is fruit it's kind of difficult actually if i asked you to describe an apple or a banana you'd probably do a passable job yeah you can sort of you know it's sort of orange it's not orange it's yellow <laughs> certainly not orange oh some varieties might be it yellow banana yes you know, yellow it's curved it's kind of got facets on it you peel you know you could you could do a passable job perhaps with something like that right but it's generally it's, it's quite difficult to describe fruit generally what makes fruit fruit uh, and perhaps that's why there's been you know there's the age-old debate about tomatoes you know this one that tomatoes are in actual fact a fruit technically botanically a tomato is a fruit along with peppers pumpkins peas cucumbers and aubergines now your world is completely destroyed isn't it all fruit botanically but no one wants to recognize a tomato as a fruit we're not going to call it a fruit we're not going to put it in a fruit salad you'd be glad to know and in fact, the United States Supreme Court actually weighed in on this debate in 1893 
and ruled that as far as customs regulations go, the tomato must be recognised as a vegetable. Got it? So, sigh of relief. So how do you recognise a fruit? Okay, it's obviously, it's a bit enigmatic, isn't it, fruit? But I guess most of us would be satisfied at the end of the day to determine what a fruit is by tasting it. Somehow we, we taste something. I mean, you taste a tomato, you sort of think, that's not fruit. <laughs> but you taste an apple, you think, yeah, that's fruit. Why do we inherently just sort of know that? Now, our next part of the fruit of the spirit here is kindness and it is it, it's difficult to define kindness that's a strange thing isn't it it's one of those qualities that you kind of you think you know kindness of course we know what kindness is but actually it is much better understood by really tasting it it's a fruit you understand by tasting so we're going to try and get a definition as we as we usually do in this first section of three Okay, here's, let's work on the definition. So if you've been coming for a while, here's something interesting. If you've been coming for a while and you've heard our series going through the letter to Galatians, uh, you will know that Paul, who wrote this letter, doesn't pull his punches, does he? It's a punchy letter. Let me remind you of some of the things that he said to the people he's writing to. Listen. He says, I am astonished you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. This is chapter one, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we've already said, so I, now I say again, if anyone is preaching you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. And there's an exclamation mark, and I think they actually have put that into the printed versions of your Bibles, okay, for emphasis. Or chapter 2. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Uh, or Galatians chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, <laughs> who has bewitched you? Are you so foolish, he says in verse 3. <laughs> it's harsh, isn't it? Or, or the classic one, you know, just before we get to the fruit of the Spirit in chapter 5, verse 12. As for those agitators, he's talking about the false teachers, I wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. I mean, that's harsh language. You don't ask your mum what that means. Yeah? And he goes on to tell us then that the fruit of the Spirit, that the, the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in his people is love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. Kindness. Are you kidding, Paul? Because what you've been saying in your letter so far, Paul, doesn't sound kind to us at all. At least not in the way that we use the word. That's why I think you need, with this fruit, you've got to taste it. You've got to taste it and see what it is. It raises a very interesting issue, actually, this, doesn't it? This whole idea of, of kindness and the way that Paul is speaking. And, and here's what I think is going on. I think that in the same way that a side effect of God's love in our hearts is necessarily going to be a hatred of anything that is evil, right? So the love of God produces a kind of a hatred in us. That's interesting. In the same way, being kind doesn't necessarily mean 
that we're going to agree with everything or, or compromise or never tell anyone in no uncertain terms like Paul does here that what they believe is wrong. I think you can still have kindness in your heart as you do things like that. I mean, just to rub this in just one step further, we would never want to say that Jesus was unkind, would we? Or that he at least lacked the fruit of kindness at any point in his ministry. And yet he called people, he called the religious leaders in his day who were leading people astray, he said this to them, you're a brood of vipers, you're a bunch of snakes, he said to them. You are like whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. He said, you are children of the devil. And it upset them to hear it too. So, so what is kindness? What is kindness? Well, the word's used a number of ways in the Bible. And so we're going to use, we're going to take a few bites, as it were, of this fruit and see if we can describe its flavour this morning. And first of all, here's the shocker. We're going to start in a very unusual place. I mean, I went through, as I do with these fruit of the Spirit, I basically looked at the, the word for kindness in the original language and then looked at everything being said about it. And here's a really unexpected one that I think is very helpful. It's in Matthew chapter 11. These are words of Jesus. They'll probably be familiar to a lot of you. Jesus says this, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, Tiago read those verses to us in the midweek meeting this week. And I was very surprised, looking at it a little bit more carefully, to discover that the word for kindness is used in this passage here. It's in verse 30. And it's been translated, strangely, as easy. That's strange. Uh, because it's describing a yoke. So when Jesus says his yoke is easy, he's saying my yoke is a kind yoke. How strange is that? Now, a yoke was an instrument, I mean, maybe you're familiar with it, is that, that thing on the picture there, used to join two beasts of burden together so that they can work. They can work pulling at the same thing. And Jesus then invites his disciples to come to him, weary and burdened. You know, imagine you're trying to, to like the, the, uh, the, the Galatians were being persuaded to do, trying to impress God with all your hard works, working your fingers to the bone, trying to show everybody how good you are. What a burden. Jesus says, come to me with your burdens. All kinds of burdens. And, and give me those burdens and take my yoke upon you. And now that sounds like it would be another burden, doesn't it? To have a yoke stuck on your neck. Like you'd be pressed into labour. But it turns out that his burden is light. And his yoke is a kind yoke. It's one that's kind to you. Kind here, then, gives the sense of a yoke that fits perfectly, moulded to your neck. It's a sympathetic one, sympathetic to the one that carries that yoke. It's a yoke that fits more like an arm around the shoulder. Yeah? That's a kind yoke. Now, perhaps some of you will remember the days, and you have to be quite a lot older than me, probably, then when it was normal and it didn't cost an absolute fortune to get clothing that was actually tailored to you, that fit your body. 
I mean, probably, if you like me, you're probably thinking, I'm glad I don't have clothes that fits exactly to my body. But one of the blokes in my uh, seminary class tried to sell the group of us on a particular brand of shoes that he buys, I mean, <laughs> interesting, which are tailored to his feet. And imagine that, shoes that are actually been made especially for your feet. I don't know if they take moulds of your feet or something, and then, you know, they craft it. It's bespoke, as they call it, bespoke shoes. And he swore that they were worth the incredible price tag. And I, I looked on a website, they don't even list the price, because if you have to ask, you know, you can't afford them. And he says it's worth it to get shoes that fit your feet absolutely perfectly and, and last a lifetime. You know, in that is, this is in this sense that we're talking about the word kind. These are shoes that are kind to your feet. They're kind to your feet. Because apparently there's nothing like clothing that really fits properly and feels absolutely great. I mean, the closest I've ever come is, 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 is a wetsuit that gave me a rash. <laughs> but this is the sense of the word. It's this comfortable, accommodating fittingness. What's it got to do with kindness? Well, exactly this. And here's the first point, really. Kindness is a quality that accommodates to the needs of others. It accommodates. It fits to them. It truly sympathises and understands what it is seeing in other people. Reads them. Reads their situation. And then instinctively responds in just the right way. It's, and when you see it, you just think... Oh, that was so fitting, what you did there. I mean, for an example, I, I used to be um, a massive fan, I don't know if any of the rest of you were, of the CSI TV series. There's a number of different series. I just love that whole formula, you know, it's forensics and, you know, trying to do... It's basically just solving an unsolved murder each week. And it follows these specialists around. And, and in every episode, they meet the bereaved family who've lost a loved one. And it's always the same formula that they come out with. I'm sorry for your loss. They just said it every time. It's just, I'm sorry for your loss. It's like having a formula of words to say that you kind of know are appropriate for a situation, right? It just, you know, it kind of works, the right thing to say. I mean, I, I'm like this, I think, when I'm in difficult situations like that. You know, if, if someone is really hurt or needy or bereaved in some way, I, I'll say things like, you know, um, you know, just do let me know if you need anything. It's that sort of thing. Because, I, because it's the same thing I always say. But kindness, I think kindness is this quality that can just go that little bit further. It enables a person to somehow empathise and, and volunteer something that is exactly the kind of help and love that the person really needs at that moment. It reads the person, fits hand in glove with their situation. Kindness. See how it's kind of difficult to define, but you get the sense. It seems that kindness is a virtue that starts in our hearts. Obviously, we have kind hearts that are energised by the love of God that we've seen earlier in the fruit of the Spirit. And then, but then it works its way out in practical service because it's seen a need and it, it fits the need. Okay, that's the first, the first little nibble of this fruit. Now let's take another one. You ready for another bite of the fruit? 
This one's from Luke chapter 6. Again, this is Jesus speaking. He says this, Luke chapter 6, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend from... Uh, um, Lend to those from whom you expect repayment. They expect to be repaid in full. Sorry, I missed that up. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful as your father is merciful. Okay, the important bit was the bit at the end there. So what have we got here? Well, we saw this, actually, we looked at the similar passage from Matthew a few weeks ago, didn't we? But the love that God puts into his children is a love even for enemies, for people you wouldn't normally love. In fact, Jesus expands this here to say that the, his disciples are to lend without expecting to get anything back, which is basically giving, isn't it? <laughs> when you lend and you don't expect it back, you've, in your mind, you've kind of given it. It'd be nice if you got it back, but you've kind of, you've given it, haven't you? You ever lent people things and not gotten them back? This is okay with that. I'm not expecting it back. And the reason that we're to love in that way is, as Jesus says here, because that's how our Heavenly Father has loved us. That's how he loves he is kind and grateful, to, sorry, he is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. You see his kindness in the fact that the rain falls and the crops grow for everyone, whether they're good or bad. He's kind. So this kind of kindness is actually a costly kindness to us sometimes, doesn't it? Because it doesn't expect anything back. It's the ability to care about those who are ungrateful and who don't give anything back. And notice uh, verse 35 there, it's anchored in a confidence that God will reward us. So much so that any thanks or recognition from the person that we're being kind to doesn't, doesn't really matter. It's a, it's a, it's a, a non-issue. That's quite challenging, isn't it? I find that challenging. It is hard to keep doing acts of kindness for someone who never acknowledges it or says thank you. Yeah, we might be able to do that a few times, but doesn't that just build up and start to accumulate? In some ways, that's actually more likely to make us bitter than loving our enemies is. Do you see? I mean, at least with an enemy, you, you didn't expect any recognition. You haven't been let down in any way. But when it's not actually an enemy, it's just someone who's ungrateful, it just builds, builds in you, doesn't it? Well, we could think a lot more about that, couldn't we? But I want to get into this third bite of the fruit before we, before we take a little break. And the third bite of this fruit has the flavour, as we've already said this morning, has the flavour of the cross, the cross on which Jesus died. You can see it in all kinds of places in the New Testament. 
But just notice these verses from Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have got that, your finger in Ephesians 4, you could look that up now. It says in verse 32 there that we are to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The model of our kindness, then, is to be the kindness that God has shown us in Christ Jesus, his son. And it has the same flavour as everything that we've seen so far. It's what we see in the cross. It's got all of this, these attributes. Because God sees our deepest need, doesn't he? He looks at the human race, sees our deepest need and is moved. He understands it. He understands us. And so what does he do? He accommodates perfectly himself to our condition. And he provides just the perfect solution to meet our exact need. That's the kindness of God. He humbles himself in Jesus Christ. So you've got this incredible thing happening where the ruler of the cosmos, the ruler of the universe, stoops to become a mortal man. He becomes a perfect fit for those he comes to save. And then he gives himself in service to his creation, even though he's rejected. He's despised by an ungrateful humanity who nailed him to a cross. But in doing this, God, rich in love, provides the forgiveness that we so desperately need. And he's willing to go that far so that we have a pardon for our sins, the removal of our guilt, which is laid on his son, and ultimately the defeat of death. The cruel cross, then, is the place where the greatest and truest act of kindness that the world has ever seen has been put on display for us all to look at. That's kindness, right there. That's where the fruit is. And it's because of the kindness of God at the cross that you and I can come to God and be welcomed by him as a tender father who is kind to us and loves us. And that is, regardless of what we've done in this life, regardless of how you've treated his son up to this point, still Jesus beckons you and says, bring your burdens to me. Own up to everything you've done. Own up to your failure. Admit your weaknesses. And come to me. Come to me for rest that is found under my kind yoke. That's the gospel. That's the flavour of this fruit. The love of God takes your breath away, doesn't it? Okay, that's the longest of the sections. That's our first section. Try to just get the flavour of this fruit. But we're going to have our kids' song. Fantastic. Well, I hope uh, you kids are all listening up this morning because after this little bit here, Tiago's going to be doing his little quiz thing and you want to be able to win those sweets. So you need to be listening up to what this fruit is. And we're going to now look at what this fruit of kindness is not. What's the opposite of this fruit? What's the fake version of this fruit that might deceive you? So what's the opposite? Well, now, again, we could just stick the word un in front of it, couldn't we? Unkindness. But that doesn't really help us to define kindness, does it? Bible teacher, American Bible teacher called Tim Keller, suggests that the opposite of this fruit is envy. Envy, the inability to rejoice in someone else's joy. And there's a lot in that, I think. I can kind of see where he's going because envy in our hearts is certainly a sort of a polar opposite 
to understanding and accommodating to the needs of others, right? Very, very much opposed to that. Envy turns things around and makes everything about me. That's what envy does, doesn't it? It's thinking about me all the time. Instead of thinking about the other person, which is what, what kindness does. In fact, you can actually say then that all forms of selfishness are actually a pretty good form of anti-kindness, aren't they? They're anti-kindness. When you're looking at yourself, you're not being kind, because it's an outward thing. But those verses from Ephesians chapter 4 that we read at the beginning, when Paul is instructing us to be kind and compassionate to one another, tell us something interesting. Because he actually prefaces that, that statement about being kind to each other by spelling out the very things you need to get rid of in order for kindness to be present. So if you want to have a look, it's on verse 31. I think we've got it on the screen there. He says this before he talks about us being kind. He says, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling, that's fighting, uh, and slander, along with all forms of malice then be kind and compassionate to one another, yeah? Now, the word bitterness there in that verse, which starts off that little list of things you've got to root out, it is, is actually a word that means kind of a poison. I guess all poisons were kind of bitter in those days. So bitterness means poisonousness. Get rid of all the poisonousness from your heart. There's a poison in the heart, he's saying. Get rid of it. I had my first uh, routine medical when I turned, well, shortly after turning 40, it's a thing, apparently. Uh, and one of the health indicators that they look at as you, you know, reach into this sort of middle age thing uh, is the dreaded cholesterol. Yep, you've got this cholesterol thing. Uh, cholesterol, and I'm not medical, but is, is that sort of, um, it's an ingredient in that nasty plaque. There's a picture of it there on the screen that's kind of disturbing, that, that grows inside the arteries, restricting the flow of blood getting to the heart. And over the years, probably due to a poor diet, poisons like that can build up to the point that it puts your health in jeopardy. And people do all of these kind of, uh, you know, detoxing sort of diets. Actually, they, they say, the evidence suggests, especially when they've looked at the health of people, um, apparently during war, where there's been a really, really basic poor diet, is that the cholesterol levels do actually tend to, you know, the cholesterol buildup tends to disappear in people in those situations. So what we put into our bodies can actually reverse this problem and clear out the poison. Now, it's very easy to let bitterness and resentment grow in your heart, isn't it? You ever noticed that? Really easy. If you hold on, if you're one of these people that holds on to things, you can let bitterness grow and grow. And actually, it comes down to, really, to two things, I think. It comes down to what you really think about the person that you're resenting. What do you really think about them? Um, or, or the person that you're envying. And it comes down to what you really think about yourself. So we express it by saying, who do they think they are? Yeah? So what, what, you, what you think about them. Who do they think they are? And... We express it by saying, don't they know who I am? Yeah? Because if we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to, we think of ourselves as better than we are, we will never grow in the fruit of, of kindness. 
It's poison. That's an absolute poison. It's a, a proud-hearted poison, isn't it? And instead, we, we allow, instead of kindness growing, we're allowing this poison then to build up when, we, when we're proud like that. And it can do serious damage to our character. It's a kind of an anti-kindness. It's the opposite of kindness. And it's really all turned in on myself, isn't it? But there are also some dangerous counterfeit versions, some fake versions of kindness. These are really interesting. Uh, let's have a look at this then. So these are really deceptive because kindness has two sides, yeah? The front side, the back side, sort of inside, outside. What do I mean by that? Well, kindness, as we said earlier, is a virtue that grows in the heart. And, and things that grow in the heart, nobody can see except God. You know, we think of this as motivations. We can't see people's motivations, can we? That's just one side of it. But kindness, as we've also said, works its way out in actions. It's got the other side of it. So we recognise kindness by actions, but it starts in the heart. The genuine version of kindness has both working together. This love has welled up in our hearts, it sees a need in others, and it accommodates in acting in kindness, acts of kindness. But it seems to me it's really easy then to fake the outward actions of kindness, even when it's entirely missing from our hearts. We can still do it. We can convince everybody that we're kind, can't we? So first, we can do things that look really kind, but are in fact just trying to get things out of people. We call it manipulation. They're done so that people will congratulate us or, or do something kind back to us in return. Yeah? That's a form of manipulation, getting people to do what you want. It's what we mean by that old saying, isn't it? I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. Yeah? That's, we, we can do kindness that way. It's kind to scratch your back. But if you, if you want a scratch of your own back back from it, then it's not what the, the Bible means by kindness. It's just, it's unsaid, but it's expected that the scratch will come, right? That's precisely what Jesus was warning about in the verses we read earlier from Luke 6, when he says, if you do good to those who are good to you, if you scratch the back to those who scratch yours, what credit's that to you? Even sinners do that. He's basically saying, this version of kindness doesn't even need the help of the Holy Spirit, does it? Yeah, even sinners can do it. And the person concerned might think we're being genuinely kind to them from right motivations. But if we are, if, if, if they are not kind back, what's going to happen? We, we start to mutter within ourselves, that's where it probably starts. And then sometimes we start to mutter to others. Say, oh, he's such hard work, isn't he? <laughs> She's really high maintenance. Yeah, we say things like that. It's all take, take, take with him, you know. It really is. And we don't say it in a nasty way. It's just in a kind of, ah, so hard work. And we're moaning. Or else this fake kindness is another form it can take. It can take the form of doing good things, doing nice things for others, so that I can congratulate myself. You ever done that? So I can get my pat on, I can pat myself on the head. So rather than it being an outflow of love for the person, we do lots of nice things for them, so that when we put our head on the pillow at night, we can say, I'm a pretty nice person. Yeah, I did lots of nice things today. 
And our confidence that we're really good enough then becomes based on the things that we're doing. That is a dreadful, dreadful uh, counterfeit. Rather than on what Jesus has done for us in making us good, we think, I'm good because I did all these good things. That is very dangerous ground to stand on. And at the end of the day, though the things that we've done might indeed be good things, what's the motivation? The motivation's all about me again. So it's turned inwards. You see, it's a fake. And that fruit tastes really bad. Do you see? see see some of these counterfeits and fakes? There's one more important fake that I want you to get just before we finish now and, and hand over to Tiago. We need to mention this. It's what the world today calls tolerance. Tolerance. See, now we do, as Christians, of course we believe in tolerance, but not in this version of tolerance, because this is a really superficial tolerance. Yeah, you know what tolerance means? Tolerance is, is, what tolerance really means is, listen, I disagree with what you're saying, yeah, but I will defend your right to say it, because I tolerate you, yeah, I'm not going to hit you for saying it, I'm not going to throw my dummy out the pram and, and get all really upset with you for saying it. I'll defend your right to say it, but I do disagree with you. I tolerate you. That's what toler- tolerance should mean, right? But the world we live in today thinks that kindness, this sort of kindness tolerance, means never disagreeing with anybody. Because if you disagree with someone, you're going to hurt their feelings. So if I tell you that I think that what you believe is wrong or what you do is wrong, then I'm very, very unkind. I mean, perhaps that's happened to you. It certainly happened to me. I've been accused of being really unkind when sharing what I believe about issues like sexuality, when talking about abortion, or about the exclusive claims of Christianity, that there's only one way to be saved, and it's only through Jesus. Be told it's so unkind to say things like that. There are people that believe other things from you. It's so unkind to disagree with them. And the reason that people think that saying these things is unkind, is that it can actually hurt, can't it, to be told that someone thinks what you're doing is wrong and sinful. It can hurt. Of course it can. Wounds you, doesn't it? He thinks I'm wrong. He's, He's judging me. She's judging me for what I do. And it feels like an unkindness has been done. But in fact, kind actions, you've got to hear this, can sometimes appear to be harsh on the surface. Sometimes you can identify what someone really needs, and that's kindness, remember. But the remedy that they need, the action you need to take, even though motivated completely by the love of God, is something they don't really want you to do or to say. You know, if you heard me yelling at you at 3 a.m. in the morning, telling you, get out of bed! You might think I'm being very unkind. You were in a lovely sleep. But if you then notice that your room is filling with smoke and there are flames licking around the door, suddenly you you realise I'm actually being kind, aren't I? Even at yelling at you. Simply agreeing with people so as not to cause offence, never challenging them about the wrong beliefs that they have, might look like you're being kind but it's a false form of kindness. It's fake. It's fake kindness. That's important to say. And we're going to think about how we grow the thing now, but I'm going to hand over to Tiago. So I hope 
that young people, children, you were listening, because Chago's going to test you a little bit now. Right, well, we're on the home straight. This is the last of the three sections we're doing. But if you tune out now, do you realise all you'll have is just a lesson in morality? You just have been beaten up by being told what kindness is, what kindness isn't, and go and do it, right? So we now need to really look at how we grow this. What's the right way to grow it? And it's quite simple with this one. So pay, pay attention. Kids, I'm saying this particularly for the kids. Pay attention now. This is the important bit. Now, I've never had a lot of success with lawns. I don't know how many blokes here like proud of your lawns. Most blokes here do seem to be. Um, the first house that we owned in Liverpool had a terrible problem with dandelions, uh, which had to be rooted out, leaving, leaving our lawn in Liverpool looking like a scene from the Somme. I mean, it was just awful. Uh, and the lawn that we have now in Chesterfield, because of all the rain and the clay and stuff, is just mostly moss. So I took it upon myself when we moved into our new house to weed and feed, to get some moss killer uh, and to weed and feed the grass in the summer when we moved in. Unfortunately, the equipment that I bought, this little wheelie thing I bought, was faulty. It had a problem with it and it just leaked the stuff. And uh, so every time I stopped, this chemical inside it would just build up on a particular patch on the lawn and so we got a really high dose in some areas which promptly became entirely sterile ground I mean it just killed all life from that little patch and we had these embarrassing kind of bald patches like the one on the screen there growing around our lawn which eventually I had to completely excavate and dig out nothing would grow at all on those patches I mean they were dead now, I'm not a gardener, clearly, but even I know soil is really important. What's in the soil is really important to growing things. If you want something to grow well, it's got to be planted in the kind of soil that's going to feed all the right nutrients into the plant. That's what we're looking at with this fruit. So what kind of soil will grow kindness in it the best? What's going to really grow it? And I'll tell you in one short sentence, it is the soil that is found at the foot of the cross. That's the soil. If you want to be a fruitful Christian, if you want to actually have any of the fruit of the Spirit growing, and especially if you want it to be a growing, growing abundantly in your life, this is absolutely crucial. It's the right use of the word. You need to meditate on and chew over the cross of Christ. How often do we do that? Jesus knew this. That's why he got us to celebrate the Lord's Supper, isn't it? Regularly. Because he knew we needed to chew over this if we were going to grow this fruit. And it's certainly true of kindness. It's only when you grasp just how incredibly kind God has been to you that you will have what it takes to be kind to others. It's why Paul actually starts his letter to the Galatians pronouncing a curse on anyone who tries to preach a gospel that bypasses the cross or puts something else in its place. He says this at the end of chapter 2, perhaps you remember, if righteousness could be gained through the law, something other than the cross, Christ died for nothing. It's a shocking sentence to say actually, isn't it? And he finishes off the letter saying this in chapter 6, which we haven't got to yet. He says, may I never boast 
except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See how important the cross is to Paul. Jesus' death and his resurrection are, in a sense, they're the engine room of the Christian life, aren't they? The blood-soaked soil at the foot of the cross is the ground where true kindness really grows. Do you hear me saying that? There's a great summary in uh, Titus. Titus chapter 3. Listen to this. Put it up on the screen. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. Now listen, in those verses, they're incredible verses, aren't they? This is Paul speaking to a colleague, a church planter, a young man named Titus. And he starts here by saying something along the lines of, hey, Titus, do you remember what we were like? Do you remember, Titus? You and me, foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating. It's quite a picture, isn't it? And what changed all of that? What turned that around? It was when we first saw and really grasped the kindness and the love of God. It was when that appeared and he saved us, says Paul. Now Jesus told a number of parables to make this point, even before he'd gone to the cross. And one of them is in Matthew chapter 18. And we'll finish by just looking at this story. It's a story all about a king who was owed a lot of debts, big debts by people. And one day this king decided to call in all of the debts. Perhaps you know this story. We can pop some pictures up to go with it. A servant comes to this king owing him a vast debt. I mean, the sum that this man owed was basically a joke. I suspect there were people in Jesus' audience laughing when Jesus said it. It's like saying he owed him the national debt for a, for the, for the small country, right? It's billions. I mean, it's staggering. It's imaginary money. The servant here, because he realises the debt and how impossibly huge it is, all he can do is he just begs for mercy from the king. And the king, we're told, is filled with pity. And he offers to cancel the entire debt. I mean, that's just, it's a, a weird story, isn't it? The king writes off that whole debt. And it's a beautiful example of kindness. Can you see? Even by the way we've de defined kindness. The king has realised the predicament of the servant. He's realised it. And he's got a solution that fits the exact shape of the need of this servant. And he takes the debt on himself, costly, so that this servant can go free. Staggering. But as soon as the servant leaves, the story continues, he sees a fellow servant who owes him a significant sum of money, actually. It's not a trifle. It'd probably buy him a new car in today's money. And he demands this money back. 
And when that man begs for mercy because he hasn't got the money, this servant brings down on him the full force of the law. He has him put in prison for it. And when news of what's happened reaches the king, can you imagine? The king hits the roof. This servant, I mean, read the story, it's a great story, but in, in short, this servant should have been just like the king. He should have acted like the king had acted. Those who have been shown kindness must show it to others. They just must. It ought, if they've understood the kindness, it ought to just work its way out to others. That's how they show they really grasped what kindness is. This is how we show the world we've understood the gospel. Please let that sink in. It's how we show we've understood it. We've actually grasped it. We've really believed it. Is that it works out in how we treat other people. This is a picture. This parable is a picture of how God treats us, isn't it? It's a wonderful picture. All of us owe a staggering debt to God because of our sin. And we probably don't grasp how big that debt is. Kids, are you listening? I mean, you've not lived that many years yet, but your debt is a growing debt, isn't it? Of what you owe God. Every time you've disobeyed God's word, what he's said. Every time you've not done what he says. Every time you've hurt others. Every time you've ignored or failed to do what he's asked you to do, or failed to honour God, or failed to love God, every time it's adding to your debt, a colossal debt. And if we come to him like that servant, realising that, that paying it back is going to be, you know, if, if what we've got to do is pay that back, it's impossible. If we come to him like that and beg for mercy because of his kindness, in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will have mercy and he will take that debt on himself. That's the gospel. The gospel reveals the kindness of God. And if you truly understand it, if you understand the enormity of the chasm between what you deserve and what God has given you in Christ Jesus, then you will want to show that same kindness to others. You will. You'll want to understand and to accommodate to their needs, to forgive just as Christ forgave you, and to serve them without needing anything back in return, because you know your reward's in heaven. We need to spend time at the foot of the cross. That is where this fruit will grow. Are you doing that? So in application, just as we close, close, I want to make this a really practical thing for you this week. And you'll find on the seats behind you a, cop a copy of those verses from Titus chapter 3. And you can do this at home. I want to suggest to you, either from this piece of paper or from any version of the Bible that you particularly like, this week, at some point, get up one morning and write out these words on a piece of paper for yourself. Let them get into your head. Think about them. Chew them over. And realise what has been done for you. At one time we were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice, envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Father appeared, he saved us. 
Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Spend some time this week thinking, pausing and thinking about the staggering kindness of God. Will you do that? Let's pray as we close. Father, we thank you for your incredible, undeserved kindness to us in seeing our need for forgiveness and mercifully reaching down to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, who's loved us and given his life for us. Help us to grow this fruit. Help us to be children of our Father in heaven, acting just like you do, and to bear witness to your great mercy and love in our lives this week. Amen.